because it's getting ready to be on. That's a lot of ranch dressing. Who doesn't like ranch dressing? I certainly don't want it thrown in my face when I'm expecting no. whipped cream. That just means I'm never leaving my kids alone with you because you're really creepy. Awkward. You guys are so young and stupid. No idea who you're talking about. It's a faith-based sports radio program. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. I'm not certain that that format is ever going to work. I love you guys. love the program. You're already famous in Rochester, but watch out world. I think it is time we demonstrated the full power of this station. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome to the program. Thanks to the Nose Guys. It's brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions, townandcountrysolutions.com. Ants, bees, or critters call Town & Country for the solution, fearing nothing but God. For the next hour, those guys and I will be talking sports and sharing a faith-based point of view, a unique perspective we don't think you're going to find anywhere else. We hope you'll be entertained. We hope you'll be challenged. You can visit our website, btgprogram.com, to find out more about us. You can follow us on Twitter, at BTG Program. Glad you could join us. I'm here with the Moron Twins, as always. <laughs> but we have a special guest with us this morning. My friend Nathan Pitcher is here because, well, it's our show. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> nice. Nathan is not a sports guy. I just love Nathan. There you he, go. Nathan is uh, a Bible student at Moody Bible Institute, part of Moody Campus Radio. Indeed. You've got, got a show that... Here on the East Coast, it's like 11 o'clock on Monday nights. It's very yeah, late. You have to be pretty late. It's pretty late. Got to be dedicated. I've been dedicated maybe twice. There you go. <laughs> because 1010 10 is when I go to bed. <laughs> I, I don't stay. There's nothing good happens after 1030 at night. What? Why 1010? 10? I don't know. It's my brother's <laughs> birthday, 1010. 10, so. No, but this is a true story. There's something very weird about what Mike body makeup or whatever but at 10 10 i crash i can remember being we were at bible studies and people would laugh at me because at 10 05 i'm doing fine i'm all right we're sitting down i'm having a coffee party time at 10 10 i start nodding off and, and it's like clockwork i mean when the yankees i'm sitting up watching a game and it starts getting past the 10 10 mark it's really a struggle to watch the game but nathan you're not a sports fan this That's is, true. That's true. This is a sports show. I'm glad you joined us. Well, yeah, I know. I fit in really well here. You're 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 not a sport. Why is that? Well, it never really tickled my fancies. Um, it for what? the longest time, yeah, tickled my fancies. It's a it's a phrase meaning I, I never. This is why I love Nathan. <laughs> we share a common interest in phrases. Yeah. He will use on occasion frost my fanny. There you go. Okay, so it doesn't tickle your fancy yeah. sports. Um, for the longest time, I didn't understand the strategy behind sports, and so watching it just seemed really brutish to me, just kind of guys going out there hitting each other or swinging at things and throwing things, and I never understood the intricacies of it. So he thinks he's smarter than everybody. Now, well, you know there are some teams that there is no strategy, <laughs> the Dallas Cowboys, for instance. <laughs> That's what I've heard. The That's Orlando heard. Magic, the Atlanta Braves, the New some York of these Knicks. types of, uh, of teams, they don't apply a strategy. Yeah, that's what I hear. Now, as I grew older, I learned more about the strategy, and I started to see some of the art forms inside of sports. And so I, I can appreciate that now, but um, it still seems brutish at times. It still seems chaotic. And there's still some sports I haven't mastered the strategies of, like baseball. I don't understand baseball 
at all. It looks like some guy throws a ball and some guy swings a bat and sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't. And you get in there just, and try and hit no, a pitch. What you yeah, got to well. know about Nathan is he's a creative. He he's artistic. He looks. He's he's a musician. Plays a number of instruments. So when he looks at sports, he's seeing the artistic value right. of it. You're, you and your brother are polar opposites. Absolutely. Your brother's a huge sports fan. You're yeah. both just as good at sports, though. <laughs> nice. Now, let me ask you this. Are you anti-sports in any... I'm not anti-sports for the most part. There are a few sports I'm against. Um, as a Christian, I believe that we should show love to others. And so I think any sport where the purpose is to injure the other person, I don't believe that should be a sport. So for you, Ronda Rousey's the devil. <laughs> Let's not go that far. She's but awesome. I want to arrange it where she Sexist. fights down. I would love to see her How long do you think down. I could last? Yeah, that would be funny, just seeing you circle, <laughs> circle the ring screaming like a little I think most girl. of the women that she's fought would last longer than Darren would. Let me ask you this, Nathan. Being a musician, do you see comparisons between what you do as a musician? Uh, you're a worship leader. You're a dynamic worship leader. I love watching you lead worship. Yeah, do you see comparisons to that in sports? I definitely do. Um, I think both music and sports require a lot of practice and a lot of time put in doing the basics. And so I've watched my brother. He's a basketball player. And um, I've seen him run the lines. I've seen him work on the same shot, move over and over again, him work on his dribbling. And I do the same thing with my guitar and with my piano playing. You know, I'm running scales. I'm doing chords. I'm doing the same things over and over again until it gets into habit and muscle memory. Um, I think there's also a lot that goes into some of the team dynamics. When you have team sports, they have to work together. You have to have each other's back. You have to be in communication about who passes when and what moves are you going to use. And the same thing applies to music. If you're going to be in a band, you have to have a real team dynamic going. You have to know who's doing what role and at what time and how is it going to all fit together. That's an interesting comparison. What do you want to do when you're done with Moody? Sure. Um, when I'm done, I would like to go into mission work. I would like to go to a major city in Europe and start some churches and try and evangelize to people there. And I would like to incorporate some of my music there as well. And so I'll probably be leading worship at some churches in the middle of, say, Berlin or London someday. Interesting. Now, you want to be a missionary. How are you? Have you practiced asking people for money? <laughs> Um, I do have that skill. I am a college student, and so we're pretty good at begging for money when we need to. These poor missionaries, I, the, the value of the dollar and just getting beat up oh, on, it's on terrible. the field. Yeah. When my parents were missionaries, they used to get probably triple what it is now. So You were in the Czech Republic. Yeah. I was in the Czech Republic. My parents would have been there 27 years ago. Um, when they first moved there, and at that time they were doing quite well for themselves as far as the dollar goes, and now the dollar is doing pretty terribly. Well, let me ask you one more, because this is a sports show, so we're, right. we're going to talk about sports, and you can sit there and join us and offer your insight or your disgust of what we're talking about. That could <laughs> well, be very interesting. Well, I do enjoy too. some sports. There are some that I find very exciting, but it's whenever some sports player makes it into an art form. So I think the perfect example is Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is a man who turned basketball from what I would consider to be mildly brutish into something that is beautiful and artistic in the way that he did it. I mean, any man that you can see jump into the air, fall over, spin around three times, and throw it up over four guys, and it still goes in, art form. It was something to watch him float. 
He was pretty good at that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he'd get up, and it just seemed like he could defy gravity. But let me ask you this. When did you decide, or or how did you come about deciding that you wanted to be a missionary and that you wanted to be part of leading worship? Sure. Um, When I was in the second grade, I wanted to be my father. And so I told my dad that my dad was a missionary, so I would be a missionary as well. Um, And at that time, I was really into music, and I didn't know how that would quite fit together. Um, once I went into junior high and high school, I was in Benson's junior high class, actually, and they needed a worship <laughs> leader. Sorry. And so I was one of the people who stepped up and, t- and took that role. And I just, I fell in love with it. It fits so naturally with what I like to do. And it was both ministry and music and a lot of fun put together. Um, and so that just kind of fit into my bigger goal of wanting to be a missionary. So you've known what you wanted to do since second grade? Since the second grade, that's right. He's way ahead of me. I'm 31. I still don't know what I I want to do. (laughs) Well, Nathan, I'm glad you're with us. We're going to go ahead and talk a little bit about sports. I want to talk about Rex Ryan. Love him. Well, I know you're all excited because you're Buffalo Bills fans, but my man eats dog biscuits. My man eats dog biscuits, which is an issue. No? Yeah, if it works, do it. Here's here's a you remember the ice bucket challenge about a year ago mm-hmm. that you guys wouldn't do. You a lot of people didn't want to have any fun. I had a ton of fun not pouring ice on my head. So <laughs> I'm just I'm not I'm not giving in to peer pressure. Oh, you need to pour ice over your head. Don't you, you care about the people who have ALS? They are not going to benefit from my, me pouring ice. I get what you're trying if to do. If you you're, said I'm not going to eat chicken wings, I could peer pressure you into eating chicken wings. So you will give in to some peer pressure. I'll eat the chicken wings because they're awesome. <laughs> I ain't eating chicken wings because you're trying to peer pressure me into it. Now, we got Rex Ryan who does the dog biscuit challenge to raise awareness of to prevent cruelty to animals. I, he was challenged by some newspaper or, or news reporter. How do you give in to that kind of pressure? Eat dog biscuits. Hey, I challenge you to give me $10 to raise awareness because I'm broke. I, I, I get the motivation behind it, but that is stupid. My man, though, here's the good thing about Rex and why people love Rex. He didn't stop at one biscuit. <laughs> he he had himself a snack, a Scooby <laughs> snack, if you will. Nice. I wonder if maybe they just didn't tell him they were dog biscuits until afterwards. You know? Can we point out real quick, he did erase the awareness because I would have had no idea that we were even doing anything like this if it wasn't for him doing it, and now we're talking about it, which is just furthering the awareness. This is what this is the importance of sports, Nathan. This is why you should be a fan, so you can find out about preventing cruelty to animals. That's right. There is no sports players who have ever been cruel to animals. No way. No way. That could never happen. <laughs> That's a good one. So the NHL is closer to folding expanding we talked about this several weeks ago on our show and we made the statement that man before they expand they ought to think about relocating some of the teams that don't do well but the in las vegas is one step closer to getting a franchise that just seems like a really bad idea to put any sports team in vegas well, they have a sports they players have a are great players. at not gambling. Sports players are the best non gamblers <laughs> I have ever met. <laughs> you are anti sports. <laughs> you? You, you you just don't play it off as though you are. There you go. You Here's got the me. thing about this Las Vegas and the NHL expanding. Quebec City also is has applied for expansion. Um, 
they have to come up with a $500 million expansion fee. $500 million. Let alone, you gotta come up with this, uh, with an arena to play. Will that You've pay already, every player for the entire year? That goes to the other teams. $500 million just to get in. Now, what kind of club is that? $500 million, you are already starting your expansion team behind the eight ball. How do you, how do you come up with that? Where does that number come from anyway? This is why the league wants to expand because they want to flood the system with 500 million extra dollars. And I can't say that I blame them, but it just. Well, this is, this is the point I was, I was going to make and you just made it that instead of relocating teams that are struggling, they want to expand. Oh, it's good for whatever the fan base. It's not. It's good for the owners because mm-hmm. they're charging 500 million dollars to get into their club. So relocating doesn't get them that 500 million. This is about money. Of course it's about money. But the NHL is tapped out now. Adding two more clubs is just going to water it down. Yeah, but if you had to get $500 million out of any place in America, Las Vegas. That's where I would try and get it from. And I'm sure it'll be clean money. Oh, yeah. no, Nothing sketchy in Las Vegas. <laughs> you listen to Benson and Those Guys. Our show's brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions, townandcountrysolutions.com, fearing nothing but God. Coming up later in the program. We're going to talk about Pete Carroll and his ability to move on from the Super Bowl loss, that heartbreaking loss. In the last. Ran it. Well, we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about Bryce Harper, Harper getting ejected yet again from another baseball game. You listen to Benson and those guys brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Title sponsor of Benson and those guys is Town and Country Pest Solutions. The warm weather is here to stay, but so are those pesky critters. Bees are beginning to build their hives, ants are driving everyone nuts, and spiders seem to be popping up in every corner of the house. But thanks to Town and Country Pest Solutions, these nuisances can be no more. If you have a serious problem that needs to be controlled, give them a call. I'm not just advertising for them. I am a customer, and believe me, they have the solution for any pest problem. I've mentioned it before, and it's still true. They have been in business for over 25 years, and their team of knowledgeable professionals guarantee their work. Call Town & Country today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God. McAfee's Remodeling is a full-service remodeling company, locally owned and operated for nearly two decades. McAfee's team of professionals can help remodel or replace your windows, and for exterior and interior remodels, no one beats their personal and professional service. Call McAfee's Remodeling at 585-402-1070. That's 585-402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. Welcome back to Benson and those guys at BTG Program. We're so glad you've chosen to join us. Benson and those guys is brought to you by Town and Country Pest Solutions. Townandcountrysolutions.com, fearing nothing but God. An article in the August 3rd edition of Sports Illustrated magazine on Seattle Seahawks coach Pete Carroll, written by Greg Bishop. And, of course, you remember the Seahawks losing the Super Bowl, declining to go with Marshawn Lynch just one yard. One yard from the Patriots' end zone. They're down by four, 26 seconds left in the game. Instead of handing it off to Lynch, they throw the ball 
and it's intercepted by Malcolm Butler. Well, Bishop's well-written article dealt with Carol's ability to not allow that moment to haunt him and how he was quick to move on from it. For so many people, that is something that would just eat at them for most of the off-season, if not for years to come. I know guys that carry around failures or disappointments in rec league softball hockey-type games. I mean, it's a hockey game. It's a softball game. Why are you? What do you care? Our church league had its championship game Monday night, and, of course, my team was in it. We lost. In the process of losing, I managed to, late in the game, ground out into a double play. Obviously disappointed. It, it seemed to me to sap our team of some momentum at that time, but, you know, it's not something I'm going to carry around forever. My goodness, it's a slow-pitch rec league game, but there are guys that carry stuff like that around forever. I told the guys on my team that it would bother me right up until that first dish of ice cream after the game. For the Seahawks, though, this was an opportunity to win back-to-back Super Bowl championships, and that's something only only a very few organizations have, have accomplished. And it hasn't been done since 2004-2005 when New England won Super Bowls 38-39. and 39. For those of you listening at home, can you name the back-to-back winners? There's six. Green Bay did it in Super Bowls one and two, and Miami did it in Super Bowls seven and eight. The Pittsburgh Steelers did it twice: Super Bowls nine and ten, and thirteen and fourteen. Dallas did it in Super Bowls twenty-seven and twenty-eight. The Denver Broncos in Super Bowls thirty-two and thirty-three, and as I said. New England Patriots in Super Bowls 38 and 39 most recently. There's no absolute rule on this, and there's, there's certainly no shortage of opinions either. But for me, for a team to truly be labeled the dynasty, there needs to be back-to-back championships somewhere in that run of titles. Like, for instance, the San Francisco Giants, to me, are not a dynasty. We've talked about it on this program. You have to have somewhere in there. It's a nice run but they're not a dynasty because they don't have those back-to-back titles. Now, maybe for football, because of the one-game championship scenario, you make an exception. I wonder what you think. You can email me at at our website, btgprogram.com, or you can tweet at us, at btgprogram. I wonder what you think. If Seattle wins a championship this year, giving them two of the last three, though not consecutively, would you consider them a dynasty? I wouldn't. But that call to throw the ball from the one-yard line and to not go with beast mode has been questioned over and over again as we get ready for another NFL season. It's getting talked about again more and more. I was shocked at the time that they didn't give it to Lynch. How could you not give it to him? How could you not? Of course you give it to him there. It seemed to me as if Seattle had sort of outfoxed themselves. But while Pete Carroll gets beat up over the call, offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel gets beat up over the call, you really have to credit Butler for making the play when he needed to. But remember, the Patriots, after the interception, had the ball at their own one-yard line with 20 seconds still remaining in the game. For Tom Brady to take a knee there would certainly have been a risky move. In the seven or eight months since, I've not heard people mention Michael Bennett being flagged five yards for encroachment and moving the ball out to the six where taking a knee was no problem. Perhaps not as costly as a turnover, but the penalty was certainly the loss of any 
last chance opportunity that the Seahawks had to pull it out. Not blaming Bennett, but certainly a lack of discipline in that situation had some impact on the game. But like any other team sport, it almost never comes down to just one player, one player that costs a team a victory. You win together, and you lose together. In the article, Greg Bishop details Pete Carroll's remarkable reaction and his ability to leave the past in the past. If you hope I'm going to cry over the deal, I'm not. I've moved past that, Carroll is quoted in the article. In fact, he says, it's been thrilling to go through this. Wow, thrilling? I know he's had plenty of time, but that seems remarkably cavalier to me. Carroll still maintains that he made the right call. He corrects people who says that it was the worst possible decision, saying that it was not the worst possible decision, but it was the worst possible outcome. And that's the thought I want to camp on for a little bit, because how tremendous a response is that? Let me say it again. When questioned about the play that cost his team an NFL championship, back-to-back titles, When questioned about that, when people say the choice to throw the ball was the worst possible decision, Pete Carroll says, no, it was the worst possible outcome. Let me take that thought away from football for a moment and apply it to real life. When you fail at something, perhaps it wasn't that you made the worst possible decision. Perhaps it was just in that circumstance, simply the worst possible outcome. Or how about this? When you talk about your faith in Christ with someone, or you invite them to church and they laugh at you, they mock you, perhaps you even lose a friend over it, it wasn't that you made the worst possible decision. It was just the worst possible outcome. In the SIPs, Pete Carroll follows up that statement by saying, the challenge is out there again, here we go. Do you hear what I'm saying? We'll come out of this better than if we had won. I mean, what a, what a response. Learning from the failure. The question is what you do with the failure. What do you do when someone laughs at you because of your faith? Do you just, do you just shrink into a corner? Never to, never to share it again? Or do you come out better? Better than if they had actually won in that situation. Better than if they had actually just come to Christ. Do you learn something from it? When you fall down, you have the opportunity to learn from it and get better, or to let the thing hang over you so that you not only fail that one time, but you continue to fail over and over because the thing is in your head. Or worse, that you give up altogether and you never try again. But that's not Pete Carroll. Now, I'm sure he probably reflected upon it privately, maybe amongst a group of close friends who, who he trusted. But then he moved on, ready to face the challenge anew. That's the beautiful thing about small groups. Most churches have small groups that they they get together, and if you have a small group of friends that are fellow believers and and you have a failure or you have a bad experience in sharing your faith, you have a, a group that you can sort of share that with, talk about it, discuss it, but then move on. You know, the Apostle Paul had the very same approach. Remember that before converting and changing his name to Paul, he was Saul, who used to persecute Christians and see them put to death. Now, I would imagine the pain and the guilt of memories like that could certainly hold somebody back. 
I wonder how many believers never accomplish all they could for God because they never fully let go of pain or memories or baggage of life in their past. Or how many never become believers at all because of that baggage. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in, Je- in Christ Jesus. So many Christians act like they have everything figured out. They act like everything is just so great, and they live perfect lives, going to a perfect church, and all their friends are just so perfect, hip, and cool. They have good-looking wives and well-behaved, good-looking children, as if to come, to, as if to say, come to our church and and you too can have it made. We have it all figured out here. That, that's just false packaging. It's not reality. It wasn't for Paul. It wasn't for Pete Carroll. It's certainly not for me. There's more to do. Paul acknowledges in that passage in Philippians that he hasn't made it, that he doesn't have it all figured out. But the one thing he has put together is that there is nothing he can do about the past. It is what it is. But he knows that he can change the future, and so he looks forward to what lies ahead and presses on toward the goal, the call of serving Jesus Christ. In David Guzik's Bible commentary, he tells of the country of Spain in the 15th century when they controlled the world, and their coins sort of reflected a national arrogance, he says, by inscribing Ni plus Ultra, Ni plus Ultra, I don't know how you pronounce it, but what it meant was nothing further. Their intent was to say that Spain was the ultimate in the world. There was nothing more. But then after the discovery of the New World, they realized that they were not the end of the world at all and that the world was, in fact, much bigger than they had imagined. So they changed the inscription on their coin to just plus ultra, meaning more beyond. Guzik's point is to say that Christian lives, some Christian lives say there's nothing further while others say there's more beyond. What does your life say? Are you content? Are you finished? Are you done? Are are you advanced as far as you're going to go? Or is there more beyond? Have you given up? Have you stopped trying or stopped serving? Maybe like Pete Carroll, you've had some time to reflect on what happened and you've experienced the pain, but now it's time to get up and move on. Greg Bishop, in his article, is sure to point out that Pete Carroll did not tell his players to just forget about it. Don't ignore the memory of the failure, and don't ignore the fact that it hurt like mad. But don't let it rule you either. Keep moving forward. Keep pressing on. You know, when Jesus sends his disciples out to declare to Israel that the kingdom of God is at hand, he tells them in Mark 6.11 that if any place will not receive you, and he will not listen to you. When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet. That same account is also given in Matthew 10.14 as well as Luke 9.5. I think it's significant that it's mentioned in three of the four Gospels. Don't dwell on it, and don't give up. Brush the dust off and have another go. It's what Pete Carroll has learned over the years and why he is a champion. He didn't let previous failures or let down stop him. He didn't step after his time with the Jets or with the Patriots. He took time, he reflected, he learned, and he moved on. 
Carol says, it's much easier for me to move forward than most people. That's how it ought to be for believers. It ought to be that way for believers because well, we have the words of Paul. We have the words of Jesus. We know that regardless of what, whether our failures, our failures were brought about by ourselves or whatever they are, not only are we forgiven, but we have the power of God. We have the Holy Spirit. We ought to be able to rise up, dust off, and move forward. It's much easier for me to move on than most people. A psychology professor mentioned in the article says it's because of something in Pete's character she calls grit. And I like that description. It fits the Apostle Paul. Grit. Remember that God has gifted you with certain gifts and that he has a mighty plan for your life. Do you trust him enough to get up and press on? Do you have enough faith in God to get up off the, the ground? If you've been knocked down, if you've been disappointed, if you have failed, if you've been laughed at, if you've been hurt, do you have enough faith and trust in God that you can pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and have another go? Forgetting what lies in the past, but looking ahead instead to the great things he has in store for you. I guess I could ask, do you have grit for God? Do you have grit for God? You're listening to Benson and those guys. We'll be back right after this. McAfee's Remodeling is a full-service remodeling company, locally owned and operated for nearly two decades. McAfee's team of professionals can help remodel or replace your windows, and for exterior and interior remodels, no one beats their personal and professional service. Call McAfee's Remodeling at 585-402-1070. That's 585-402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. Title sponsor of Benson and those guys is Town & Country Pest Solutions. The warm weather is here to stay, but so are those pesky critters. Bees are beginning to build their hives, ants are driving everyone nuts, and spiders seem to be popping up in every corner of the house. But thanks to Town & Country Pest Solutions, these nuisances can be no more. If you have a serious problem that needs to be controlled, give them a call. I'm not just advertising for them. I am a customer, and believe me, they have the solution for any pest problem. I've mentioned it before, and it's still true. They have been in business for over 25 years, and their team of knowledgeable professionals guarantee their work. Call Town & Country today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God. Welcome back to Benson and those guys coming back in with Taylor Swift, where, as you know, probably already, we're big fans of T-Swift. And it's reciprocated, it? I'm sure. She's a big fan of this program. Oh, as, totally. I, I, as I would expect. You guys should have seen how much Benson was bouncing in his chair when that song was playing. Uncomfortably so. Yeah. There's a lot of shaking going on. You know who's a big Taylor Swift fan? There was a great article. Rolling Stone magazine in July did a, an interview with Jimmy uh, Jimmy Butler of the Chicago Bulls, <laughs> and it was it was really it's a highly recommended article because it, it's just a party. This guy sounds like a good time, and he's talking about being a, a Taylor Swift. So Rolling Stone 
uh, he's talking about being a Taylor Swift fan. Rolling Stone asks him, you know, about that. And he says, I am a T Swift fan. I'm going to see her in San Diego in August. I'm not going to say I'm going to be in the back screaming, but I didn't say I wanted. <laughs> they say, nice. they ask him if it's the first time you're seeing her. He says in concert, yeah, she's a Knicks fan. So whenever we play the Knicks, I just go up to her and say, Hey, you know, I listen to your music. And she's like, Oh, well, I watch you play basketball. <laughs> it just sounds like a riot. Oh, it, it was a really a terrific article. And there's a part of the where he goes on talking about how he would go in the locker. Everybody come in the locker room and they're wearing the beats by Dr. Dre, which are just so high volume. You can hear them clearly. And he doesn't have his on. So they come in and they're playing all this music. He's like, hey, can, can you turn that down some? And people are turning on him and say, well, go get your own. If you don't want to hear ours, put yours on and play something. So he says he put the headphones on and he started playing Brad Paisley. And he said, after a while, he got himself hooked on country music, <laughs> and he's really digging it. And they they talked to him about. Um, they mentioned that he used to. They saw him with a guitar. Rolling Stone says, "Hey, we, we saw you with a guitar. Uh, do you play?" And he says, "I used to until I met Garth Brooks. When you play your guitar, your hands are going to be calloused." And while I was talking to uh, look to Garth Brooks, looking at his hands, I'm like, "Man, your hands are still calloused." Do, do you did you just start playing? He says, "No, I've been playing the guitar for fifty years." You mean to tell me that my hands are going to look like that for fifty years? Butler says he's never played the guitar since. <laughs> nice. I like this story about how he met Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, Same. apparently they're friends. Yeah, they played one on one, and Mark Wahlberg says he won. Jimmy Butler says he won. I guess we'll never know. Can you confirm, um, Nathan? You're a musician. You just happen to be here sitting on a sports show. We're talking about the Chicago Bulls basketball player and Garth Brooks at the same time. Are your hands calloused as a... Well, first off, I am a big Chicago fan of all their sports. And secondly, no, my hands are not calloused at this point. I just have no feeling at the ends of my fingers. That's all. So you go through life with no feelings in the end. How many instruments do you play? Uh, last count, close to seven. You are an amazing human being. How do you get close to seven? <laughs> I just like, like, pick up not all that one and just kind of hold it. He's not all that good well, at one. So he plays six, but there's one he's kind of nice. Well, some of them you can take ideas from one and just kind of throw it together with another thing and pick up something, and you know it sounds nice by the end. So close to seven. I think we had the Jimmy Butler Taylor Swift thing. I think we talked about that on this show when it happened. So I think it's fair to say that we scooped Rolling Stone, right? Did we talk about that? I'm 99% positive that we did. We pretty much talk about everything first, and then everyone else picks up on it. I, I, now, listen, I'm not I'm not tooting our own horn. I'm not bragging. I'm not doing any of that. But honestly, there's been a few things that we've talked about, and then I've seen it break nationally. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of kind of cool. Like, we talked everything about Everything we that. touch turns to gold. You heard it first from Benson and those guys. That's right. On Wednesday, Boston Mayor Martin Walsh, with former Major League pitcher Kurt Schilling, introduced a, a ban calling for uh, no smokeless tobacco products at all Boston ballparks, from Fenway all the way down to Littlefields. If this goes through, if this is approved, Boston will become the second, San Francisco being the first city to ban smokeless tobacco in their in their ballparks. Now, for Major League ballplayers, that means no smokeless tobacco. So they're obviously going to get some pushback on this. But what I'm wondering, does that seem like too much government to you? 
It does. And it doesn't even make any sense to limit it to ballparks. If you understand that it's bad for you and it shouldn't be done, why wouldn't you just ban it in the entire city? I understand the intention behind this, and I can get down with it. It's a great idea. But the way it is now, you can't use smokeless tobacco in the minor leagues. Major leaguers are still able to, though they're not allowed to use them during televised interviews, and they can't carry them around when fans are in the ballpark. So you're sort of restricted to the clubhouse area or, you know, wherever you are with it. You can't carry it around, so maybe you can get a, a dip in the clubhouse and then, and then come back out. But I think the, I think the intentions are there, the good intentions are there, but to me, this is, this is too much government. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a fairly, and I understand Kurt Schilling got mouth cancer as a result of chewing tobacco. Um, Tony Gwynn also, right? Isn't that what killed Tony Gwynn? I, I guess with the intentions there, this is a self, fairly, self-inflicting thing, mm-hmm. you know, and what I wonder, and I know the answer, but they're going after tobacco and saying you can't have the tobacco because um, they don't want kids to see them. They don't want kids to see their heroes with with this product and then take it up themselves. But yet alcohol is not being banned. Alcohol makes them money. Alcohol. Well, that's that's the answer. I said I knew. We all knew the answer. Alcohol is, makes the, the stadiums, the teams, ton of money. Mm-hmm. The sponsorships that alcohol has, but to me, this is this is very hypocritical. You're going to say, all right, you, you, they've already banned smoking, and uh, as a non-smoker, I appreciate okay it. it. I do, I do. I often wonder. Well, there is there is some degree of over government, but as a non-smoker. I appreciate it. But if you're going to go after one thing, why not go after the other? Because it makes too much money. But that makes you a hypocrite. If you're saying, well, that makes us a lot of money. We're not going to touch that. So we'll go after that. How many, how many people does that really affect? Smokeless tobacco. I have no idea. I have no numbers on it, but I tend to think it's a lot fewer than those, alcohol. Those truth commercials really make tobacco look pretty awful. Oh, those, those commercials. Those that, are hard to watch. I change the channel every time they come on. I, I don't just, know why people continue smoking knowing that could happen. I'm not saying that happens to everybody or even the majority, but that could happen if you smoke. So why are you continuing to do it? Well, where we are, you know what happens if you smoke. Mm-hmm. The statistics are there. The reports are there. I mean, it says on the outside of the, this will kill you. <laughs> you know, use this pro- use of this product, you will die. Uh, something along those lines. It, it's, But it's self-inflicting. Alcohol affects other people. Now, I know your sins will always affect more than just you. So if you're a tobacco user, a smokeless tobacco user, even if it's self-inflicting, it is going to affect your loved ones. It will affect people around you. It affects me when I'm sitting down to watch dinner and we have the TV on and one of those commercials come on. (laughs) And and you got to change the channel because those things are just foul. Mm -hmm. But alcohol affects other people with drunk driving, uh, with other things, with uh, the domestic violence that is a result oftentimes of alcohol abuse, too much alcohol. So this thing sort of bothers me a little bit. And I listen, I get why Kurt Schilling's on it. Yeah, I can, again, I, I get it with the, with the regular cigarettes that did affect other people with the amount of secondhand smoke Blowing and stuff. Their faces. And, yeah, that affects other people. I think it's supposed to stop children from seeing sports players and saying, sports players chew tobacco, so if I want to be a good sports player, I chew tobacco. 
You know, I, I tried dip one time. I dove for a ball in center field, and I, I caught the ball. I also swallowed some dip. I threw up on the field. I haven't touched it since. Like I, I didn't need... I didn't need someone telling me not to do it. I didn't like the way it made me feel, and I was done with it forever. As we record this program for a Saturday morning airing today, Patrick Kane of the Chicago Blackhawks is reportedly under inv- investigation by police, and police aren't releasing a lot of details. I'm sure in the next day or so, perhaps more of these details will come out. But reportedly, there is a woman who went to a hospital, and uh, a rape kit was administered, so... They are investigating her claims of rape against Patrick Kane. And that was probably a poor segue because I'm not suggesting it has anything to do with alcohol. I have no idea, though he does have a history of having alcohol issues and domestic violence issues in the past. It's hard hearing these stories, and I'm absolutely not saying this woman is making it up. But... We've seen time and time again where professional athletes are accused of something and it really hurts their reputation And when it turns out it didn't really happen or the person's after money. And now, again, I'm not saying this is what's happening here, but these stories, they it's almost every week now with an athlete. Yeah, but you can't you can't not investigate it. You no, you, not have, to, you have it. to. We've yeah. also seen a number, of, a, a number of times where the athlete was indeed mm-hmm. guilty. Mm-hmm. In fact, more troubling than that is where... It appears the athlete's very guilty, and then they get off for one reason or another. But mm-hmm. the reason I bring it up is we ha- the, the reports are out there. I've already seen social media because Patrick Kane had an issue a couple years ago. I've already seen social media slamming him and, and wanting to nail him to the wall. And, and let's just wait. Let the police do their work, and let's find out the facts because – Remember, in America, you are innocent until proven guilty. And it reminds me of the Jonathan Taylor situation at Alabama. If you don't remember out Jonathan Taylor, he had a domestic violence situation where Georgia let him go. He was, the university said he's gone and they let him go. He got on. Nick Saban at Alabama gave him a second chance and another allegation came out against him. And because of Alabama's zero tolerance policy, he was off the team. He was out of the university. But it turns out that he pled guilty to a misdemeanor charge, so I, I wonder what did happen, but his accuser recanted her claims. So Jonathan Taylor lost his opportunity to be part of the Alabama football team because this person made claims that they later recanted. I don't... These are troubling situations. How do you handle those things? You don't want somebody on your team that is guilty, but by mm-hmm. the same token, you don't want to overreact if the case that they're not guilty. But I do just, I, I bring it up because social media has already lit up with accusations and claims mm-hmm. and wanting to pin somebody against the wall. And, and I'm pleading and saying, relax, let the police do their work and make a judgment later. And we see so many of these stories, and we discuss them on the show, and I feel like a broken record saying this because we say it every time, but so many athletes that have this kind of money that could be taken advantage of or could commit these acts continue to put themselves in these situations that they really should keep themselves out of. Yeah, speaking of the money, these guys have these guys have an amazing opportunity, all professional athletes. You're making millions of dollars to play a game for a living. That is, You're living a dream, all right? And you... 
so so often, so many of these athletes continue to screw up and put themselves. They're at least guilty of putting themselves in a situation to where something bad could happen. At some point, you got to stop doing that. Just stay out of the situation. Like Patrick Kane continues to put himself in poor poor situations, and now this has happened. It's not surprising. And, and that's a great point. And that extends beyond the athletic field or the basketball court or the hockey arena. That extends into real life where people claim to be Christians and then put themselves in situations that cause them to fall into sen- sinful situations, whether it, it's an adulterous situation, whether it's 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 a drunken situation, whatever it is, you got to be aware of the situation you're in. you got to be aware and think, man, if i got a problem with alcohol – I need to avoid going to situations where alcohol is going to be served and I may potentially be tripped up. I know my sins. I know where my temptations lie. I need to be careful. So it extends beyond just athletes, and we have to remember when we bring that back into real life. You're listening to Benson and those guys. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Bryce Harper and his seemingly often getting thrown he's he's challenging bobby cox by the time his career is over for getting ejected <laughs> out of games you're listening to benson and those guys our show's brought to you by town and country press solutions title sponsor of benson and those guys is town and country pest solutions the warm weather is here to stay but so are those pesky critters Bees are beginning to build their hives, ants are driving everyone nuts, and spiders seem to be popping up in every corner of the house. But thanks to Town & Country Pest Solutions, these nuisances can be no more. If you have a serious problem that needs to be controlled, give them a call. I'm not just advertising for them. I am a customer, and believe me, they have the solution for any pest problem. I've mentioned it before, and it's still true. They have been in business for over 25 years, and their team of knowledgeable professionals guarantee their work. Call Town & Country today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town and Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God. So Bryce Harper got himself thrown out of yet another baseball game, this time against the New York Mets at City Field last weekend. Of course, the Nationals were in the process of being swept by the Mets in what was a fairly important series. And stewing in the clubhouse is not where Bryce Harper most benefits his teammates. Don't you think Harper has an obligation? to those teammates to keep himself in the game. He's not doing anybody any good in the dugout or in the clubhouse. You need to be on the field, especially this time of year in these types of games. And the Mets, they just look poised to shock everyone and steal the NL East away from the heavily favored Nationals. I mean, on paper, the Nationals look like a team that that just belongs in the World Series. They're built for the World Series and a team that should easily win the NL East. When I looked at it at the beginning of the season, I said, between them and the Dodgers, with all the pitching these two teams have, one of those teams will win it all, and they're certainly going to meet in the NL Championship Series, but then you got the Cardinals. The Cardinals, who are playing head and shoulders above everybody else. I guess that's why they play the games, as they say. And the Mets have hung in there, and after picking up Joanna Cespedes, Juan Uribe, and some other nice pieces to balance their lineup, they look very much like a threat the rest of the way to disrupt the Nationals' plans. The Mets look good. I thought for sure they would need to part with one of those 
pitchers, one of those prize pitchers. They have such depth at pitching. They would have to give up somebody to get the pitch, uh, to get the bat that they needed. After dealing Zach Wheeler for Carlos Gomez in a trade that eventually didn't go through, they ended up adding Cespedes and somehow kept all those pitchers. Plus, they could get David Wright back in time for a stretch run and possibly the playoffs. And if the Nationals are going to be losing Bryce Harper late in games due to temper tantrums, they may find that the Mets just actually pull away with the division over the next couple of months. I think the Mets are that good now. And I think that the Nationals need Bryce Harper on the field. I get it. It's frustrating to get wronged by an umpire. And I'm not going to go on about the quality umpiring at this highest level of baseball. You should have the best umpires, and I think they do. I actually think these guys do a remarkably good job. So many of those bang-bang plays, when, they shown, when they're shown on replay, turns out the umpires got it right. But occasionally they do miss some. And occasionally they do get lazy and they find themselves out of position. I don't think it happens a lot, but it happens. Happened the other night. I'm watching a game for the first time in several weeks. Sat down to watch the Yankees-Red Sox. Mark Teixeira hits one in the right field. It takes a short hop. The right fielder dives for it. The umpire never followed the ball out to right field. He's making the call from behind first base, and he calls him out. Everybody in the stadium, except the umpire, everybody watching on TV knew that this had hopped in his glove. The nice thing about this is you got replay. They overturn it. They get it right. But on balls and strikes, you don't have the benefit of replay. And stacks at, the statistics actually support Harper. They suggest that he's, he's often right about the call being wrong, but that doesn't change anything. At this point, umpires really ought to know that if Harper doesn't swing, chances are it's not a strike. He has an incredibly keen eye. But when it comes to balls and strikes, how many times have you ever seen an umpire change his call? The answer is you haven't. It doesn't happen. They don't do that. So going in a tirade to make your point seems senseless to me. I've been a coach. I've been a player. There are ways I found to make a point with an umpire without arguing and potentially getting yourself thrown out of a game. You can simply ask him where the pitch was. You can ask him, did he call you on the swing or did he call you on the pitch? They're not dumb. They'll get the message. They'll pick up on the fact that you disagreed with their call. And without showing them up or getting them angry, perhaps they'll think, maybe I did miss that one. They, above all people, know they're not perfect. They might think they did miss it, and the next close one might actually go your way. I don't know how many will admit it, but officials definitely give make-up calls. But while Harper says he was arguing to stick up for his team and himself at the same time, he needs to see the big picture which is that his team needs him on the field. He needs to be in the game. Manager Matt Williams says he needs to stay in the baseball game. Heck, Williams needs him in the game more than anybody because if the Nats don't win at all with the talent that they have on this roster, Williams is going to be out of a job. Harper needs to stop focusing on himself and perhaps how he's being unjustly treated and see the big picture, which is winning a World Series title. Maybe he is being unjustly treated. That's not the point. Maybe you do get a fair amount of bad calls. That's not the point. The point is you got to figure out a way to keep yourself in the game, to stay on the field, to help your team win. The Nationals are in good 
as in good a position as anyone to win the World Series this year. But they need to keep their priorities in order. And getting distracted over a bad call and getting in an argument and getting yourself ejected is not going to help your team win. Remember a few years ago? Remember when the Indianapolis Colts were on that undefeated run late in the season? And the big question was whether or not head coach Tony Dungy would rest his players or would he play them in pursuit of that perfect season? Dungy said, your whole plan is to win the Super Bowl. While it would be nice to be 16-0 heading into the playoffs, they don't give out rings for 16-0. They give out rings for winning the Super Bowl. And everything we do will be with that goal in mind. Dungy had it right. He understood the big picture. He knew that the real goal is to win the Super Bowl. The coach knows that having his players well-rested prior to entering the playoffs is more important than winning all their games because it gives his players the best chance to win the prize. And Nationals manager Matt Williams know he needs his players on the field focused on the game to have his best chance to win a title for his team. Allow me, if you will, to make this application that sometimes we as people lose sight of the big picture. We think that we have to be perfect before we can start going to church. In doing so, we lose sight of God's true goal for our lives. Have you ever heard someone say, if I ever went to church, I'd I'd probably be struck by lightning or the building would fall on me? I mean, come on, is that realistic? Even those who do go to church on a regular basis often have that same false belief that God expects perfection and a good performance from them. Quite often, people with a heavy heart have said that there's no way God could ever love me or forgive me after all the terrible things I've done. If only you knew God. If only you understood his love is so great. They focus on how far they've fallen short of perfection instead of what God really wants, which is to have a personal and loving relationship with them. God's goal is not that you lead a perfect life. God already promised to make you perfect by forgiving you of your sins if only you ask him to. In his eyes, because Jesus Christ took the penalty of your sins to the cross, then you are already perfect once you have asked for forgiveness. From then on, God simply wants to change your heart and make you more like him. The goal is not perfection, but rather forgiveness. God's ultimate prize for you is eternal life with him when it's all said and done here on earth, whenever that may be. Until then, he wants to make you more like him. He wants you to be loving, kind, joyful, patient, self-controlled, merciful, compassionate, full of goodness. And these are things he can't do on your own. These are things that he will do in you. In John chapter 8, Jesus did not expect perfection of the woman caught in adultery. He looked at her in the same way that God regards you and I. Even with all our imperfections, our sin, our failings. When those that caught the woman kept on questioning Jesus, he straightened up and he said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. He then stooped down and wrote on the ground. What he wrote, I I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. 
But all her accusers began to go away one at a time until only Jesus was left. He then asked the woman, where are, your where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. The big picture is not living a life of perfection, but a life of forgiveness. We are sinful beings, unable to redeem the price of our own sin on, on our own basis, on our own merit. But Jesus paid that price for us. He paid it on the cross when he gave his life. He paid the admission price to heaven, if you will. And he stands ready to forgive you if only you are willing to confess your sins to him and ask him to forgive you. Don't let yourself get distracted from that big picture of salvation in Jesus. Don't let the sins of other people or the hypocrisy of other people draw your focus. Don't let the trials and tribulations of life or the troubles within the church draw your focus. Keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus. Don't let Satan use that guilt that you feel from past sins to keep you from God. Stay focused on the big picture. God doesn't want you to be perfect. He wants you to be forgiven. And there is never a better time than right now to ask him. Kind of an unfortunate segue after that segment, but we're going to do our Pest of the Week. We're sponsored by Town & Country Pest Solutions. So I'm going to start with our guest, Nathan. Nathan, uh, we've set this up. So who is your Pest of the Week? My Pest of the Week is, drumroll please, Gravity. Now let me tell you why. Your Pest of the Week is Gravity because New York Mets lefty reliever Jerry Blevins, who is rehabbing already from a fractured left forearm, slipped off a curb this past Monday and refractured the bone. Blevins has pitched like seven games this season for the Mets before he fractured that forearm. Nathan's Pest of the Week is Gravity. My Pest of the Week is Deshaun Jackson. Earlier in the week, he stated he couldn't be stopped by anybody. Not Darrell Rivas, not Richard Sherman, no one. Then in practice a few days later, he separated his shoulder running into a blocking sled. So you're, you're telling me the two best corners in the league can't stop you, but a piece of stationary equipment can? Dude, just shut your mouth and play football. I don't normally like seeing anybody get hurt, but uh, this story made me laugh. My pest of the week is David Ortiz of the Boston Red Sox. This week he was asked about A-Rod being clean of PEDs, and he said A-Rod's clean as far as we know. Kind of threw a little shade at A-Rod. He got called out by the media for it, and he said, well, it's not my fault. English is my second language. He's been in this country <laughs> giving interviews in English for a decade and a half. He knew what he was saying. <laughs> my pest of the week is Vanderbilt football or whoever runs the Vanderbilt football Twitter account. Their tweet today, which has since been taken down, we don't need your permission. I don't know what that refers to, but I can tell you it's been less than a year after a jury trial where two of the former players were convicted of aggravated rape. Now, the ver verdict was overturned in June, but the judge, ha uh, the judge declared a mistrial, but prosecutors have vowed to retrial. Vanderbilt football... We don't need your permission oh. is not the tweet you want to be setting out. <laughs> no. I want to thank you for joining us this week. Benson and those guys, as always, brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions, townandcountrysolutions.com, fearing nothing but God. Follow us on Twitter, at BTG Program. Visit our website, btgprogram.com. This is Ben, Benson, and those guys.